Hi everyone, David Harris here with you for Criminal Injustice, and this is the one-year anniversary of the murder of George Floyd, May 25th, 2020, that's the day we're posting this, Uh, an awful day in 2020, and one that had real consequences. It is a sad day, an angering day. Uh, and one uh, that it is a legitimate time to take stock on, to think about what has happened, what has changed, what's ahead. Um, I think uh, to memorialize George Floyd, we should take a look at where the country has gone and what has happened since and give the fullest possible account of the, the aftermath of that terrible day on which he died. I've got 10 thoughts for you on this topic. Let's start here. Number one, the police officer who killed George Floyd was charged and convicted of murder. Derek Chauvin the Minneapolis police officer who was seen on that awful video uh, killing George Floyd, killing him in real time right in front of us with his knee on George Floyd's neck. That man was fired first, then charged with homicide crimes from second-degree murder on down, and he was convicted In April of 2021, he was convicted based, of course, on that video, but also on the testimony of witnesses, the people who were there, who were so deeply affected, including the young woman who took that video and sent those pictures around the world, and so many others who were there, the people in his life, Um, the Testimony also came from the medical people, the scientists, who said, no, you can believe your eyes. He died because of what Derek Chauvin did. The court trial, of course, was watched carefully in the United States and around the world, and uh, it resulted in guilty verdicts. Uh, There was perhaps not justice But accountability, that was the take of Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison, whose office prosecuted Derek Chauvin. Here he was speaking after the verdict. I would not call today's verdict justice, however, because justice implies true restoration. But it is accountability, which is the first step towards justice. Now, of course, there were three other officers present on the scene with Chauvin that day. They have all also been charged with homicide crimes as accomplices, as accomplices to Chauvin for helping him. Now, this first point, this trial and guilty verdict, it represents progress because too often juries have acquitted, even when the evidence is very strong. And too often, prosecutors refuse to indict at all, even with pretty strong evidence. 
I would just point out that just days before this very solemn anniversary of George Floyd's death, a prosecutor in North Carolina refused to indict sheriff's deputies who shot Andrew Brown as he attempted to drive away from them. At least that's what we think, because we haven't seen the video yet, saying that the the DA, this is, saying that the deputies were in fear for their lives as Brown drove his car toward them. Witnesses directly contradicted that story, and a few of the civilians who have seen partial, redacted video footage, the state has not released all of it, uh, have called Brown's death an execution and no prosecution, no charges, let alone a guilty verdict. It's worth noting that any verdict like this is only a verdict about one incident, one case. So the verdict against Derek Chauvin finding him guilty of George Floyd's murder is significant, but it is only the one case. And there should be more focus uh, going forward on system failures that allowed these things to happen. Because this doesn't happen by accident. This doesn't happen because of a, quote, bad apple, whatever you think of Chauvin. This happens because the system allows Chauvin to stay in it and be a police officer and not be significantly disciplined or sussed out as a person who would do this. There is a little hope in this regard. The Department of Justice has announced a pattern or practice investigation against the Minneapolis Police Department, and that is designed to get at system failures, at organizational failures. But that's really a task that needs to be done. We need to be asking not just which individual or individual officers are to blame, but how did the system fail? That's what will really help us get past this awful occurrence again and again in so many places. Point number two, the unleashing of anger at the constant maltreatment of people of color by police and the use of force by police on people of color in disproportionate form and and at disproportionate rates All of that burst into the open. Uh, It was not new, of course, but George Floyd's death and the way so many millions and millions of people experienced that through the video really brought that home and the anger and the outcry and the public demonstrations were as large and significant as anything I have seen in my lifetime. Um, The demonstrations that lasted through last summer and in some places even into the fall, not just in Minneapolis, but in major cities across the United States, even around the world and thousands of smaller places, suburbs, small towns all over the country. And these demonstrations, not just drawing black Americans But many people of other races, especially white people, often for the first time proclaiming they simply would not stand for this. Uh, Some of these demonstrations resulted in some violence or property damage, but that was actually pretty rare. 
Um, uh, it didn't happen often. Uh, Minneapolis being one exception where the anger was hottest and most immediate. Many of these demonstrations sadly resulted in the disproportionate use of force by police to counter the demonstrations, including the use of tear gas, less lethal projectiles like rubber bullets and beanbags, the use of the kettling technique, all of that. Um, It was not a pretty picture in so many ways. But let's not lose sight of the fact that this was a uh, an outpouring of anger and demands people would not be denied point number 3 this anniversary is certainly a commemoration of the fact that while there have been discussions of police reform and change before particularly particularly not only but particularly in the aftermath of the death of Michael Brown and Ferguson in 2014, this incident really has resulted in a wholesale, deep examination of policing in this country. Not just what happened in this case, uh, but everything. And everything is on the table in a way that did not used to be the case. Um, it's all being discussed There are demands about everything, and it runs the entire gamut. Some want the police defunded or even abolished in their cities and towns. Um, That seems to be not a big majority, maybe a smaller minority. Um, It was the predominant sentiment at many demonstrations, but when it has gone into the, uh, the sort of aftermath phase, uh, that doesn't seem to be the majority opinion. But Almost everybody seems to want all of policing rethought, reimagined in some very basic ways. What do we want armed policing to be doing? What do we want the guys and women with the handcuffs and the guns to actually be doing? How often do we need them to be armed? Uh, In what percentage of cases might we be better off with services delivered by others? If somebody is in a mental health crisis, do you want mental health workers instead of the people with the badges? Do you want community-based workers instead of mental health workers? Do you want social workers for people with drug addiction issues uh, instead of getting them arrested? Drug treatment. Do you want social workers for people who are in a homeless crisis instead of police? All of these things are now in the air being discussed. I can tell you in my uh, hometown of Pittsburgh, these have all been discussed with so much more still on the table to be resolved. And many of these things have already happened. We have had changes in the use of force standards within the police department. There is uh, an alternative to policing already launched for mental health crisis, homelessness crisis, things like that. Um, it's being done, but this would not have happened but for the impetus of George Floyd's murder and the public demands that would not be denied. And, of course, all of this has resulted from people empowering themselves through political action on the street and otherwise, making their demands known, heard, and refusing to give up. With that going on in the country, 
change has begun. It is not far enough, as I'm going to say in a few minutes, but it's there, and it's there because of this series of demonstrations and all of the anger and outbursting feeling. Point number four, there's been a renewed focus on communities and what they want. What do the people who are interacting with the police, what kind of policing do they want? And this is only right. This is only right. They're the people with the experience. Now, we've all talked about, heard about community policing, a sort of shared burden of creating public safety. Certainly that's included here, but this goes further. That's my perception. Um, uh, We look here now at what communities have actually built for themselves. What kind of violence prevention work are they doing? Would this be a better alternative to the way police do it through criminal law enforcement? And is it what the people want? If they want that, we should fund that. If they want community services delivered by people on the ground where they live, then that's what we should fund. Right. Uh, sometimes this discussion segues into cutting police budgets so that the money can be redirected into these sorts of community-based services. I'm for funding the community efforts first. Right? Um, you want to talk about cutting the police budgets? Well, maybe we would do that once we get other services and service providers in place. But I don't want to wait for that. That's a difficult discussion to have. I want that money now into community-based services if that's what the community wants. And that's the important point to notice. Their voices are being heard, and that should continue. Point number five, there have been changes in the law. Not enough, and not everywhere, but a renewed focus on the importance of the law and what must change. I may may surprise you. I mean, I'm a law professor and a lawyer after all. This is point number five, not point number one. But it does have to change. We particularly need changes in use of force law. Uh, Our police department here in Pittsburgh is free uh, to change its use of force internal standards. And our city council can even mandate that. And both of those things have happened here since George Floyd's murder. But they can be turned back by another city council. They can be turned back by another police chief. So what has to happen is at the level of state law. That really is where the changes have to occur. Um, The standard is now set at a baseline by old Supreme Court cases from the 1980s, Tennessee versus Garner and Graham versus Connor. And those are just minimum standards, and we can't be satisfied with them. We can already see, after decades of experience, that those don't lead anywhere good in most cases. They lead to these killings that are lawful, but awful, as we've said here before. So there have been changes in use of force law uh, in California, in Virginia, in Connecticut, in the District of Columbia. There's proposals. There have been proposals here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and Maryland and some other places. Uh, This is the time for change in use of force law. Law has also changed around the subject of transparency. 
Okay, we have seen changes in state law that used to shield police misconduct and disciplinary records. This first happened in California in 2019, but since George Floyd's death, we had a major change in the state of New York. They changed their state law to make all police disciplinary and misconduct records public record. And that's important. That is hugely important. That needs to happen everywhere, because if there's not transparency in those records, we, the public, don't know actually what's going on. We don't know what we're getting. We don't know what kind of a job police departments do uh, when they're faced with allegations of misconduct. And I really cannot stress enough how much we need that everywhere. Other changes in the law, lots of jurisdictions banning chokeholds and other kinds of, quote, neck restraints. All of this, these changes in the law, wouldn't be enough by themselves, but they are part of the full spectrum of what has resulted in the wake of George Floyd's murder. Point number six, a renewed focus on and demands for police body camera video. When a death happens in custody, Uh, when there's an officer-involved shooting that kills somebody or something terrible goes wrong in some other way. Uh, It was a private person's video, of course, that sparked the outrage over George Floyd's murder. Uh, That was recorded by that young woman who testified in his trial, uh, who was just 17 years old at the time. Uh, But there are body cameras deployed in hundreds and hundreds even thousands of American police departments now. And uh, what we need are guarantees in the law and elsewhere that that footage is going to be shared with the public as soon as possible. Unfortunately, some states, and I would include my own, uh, have taken the opposite step. They've taken body camera footage out of their state right-to-know laws and made it more difficult for even police departments who want to release it it is now much more difficult. And a great example is the case in North Carolina involving the death of Andrew Brown. That police department wanted the body camera footage released, released in full and right away. And the state legislature, in its great wisdom a couple of years ago, made a law that said, no, that takes a court order. The court has full control over that. The police department doesn't control it. And the public and the family of Andrew Brown very, very poorly served and upset by that decision. It'll eventually probably come out. But all we have so far now is conjecture, possible redacted versions that get shown only here and there to certain people. That's got to change because people now know there are cameras on almost every police officer in certain police departments. That's there for accountability, among other things. Point number seven, public pressure forces change. This is an important lesson. I alluded to it just a few minutes ago in another point I was making here. Um, When municipal and state and federal leaders saw the public outrage over George Floyd's death, when they saw its size and the fact that it wasn't just a, quote, black issue, that people of all races, generations, were out there in the streets marching 
demanding justice and demanding a different kind of policing, some demanding no more policing at all, they were forced to respond. I mean, look, that's what leaders have to do. Um, Task forces and commissions were appointed. um, Municipal and state laws were passed. Plans were changed and new plans put into place on and on and on. I've told you about some of the changes here in Pittsburgh. Uh, At some point, demands for change from the public, which persist and which are loud, uh, must be considered. They can't be ignored indefinitely. And I think this is a lasting lesson that will continue to resonate. I think uh, this has empowered a lot of people. They can see that their voices made a difference and they're continuing to make a difference. Next point, the federal Congress, our national government, is only about 50-50 likely to pass anything on this set of issues. Um, The uh, uh, House of Representatives passed a package of uh, deep reform bills just weeks after George Floyd's murder. And then uh, nothing. The Senate did not act on them. And then again, in the new Congress, which began in 2021, uh, they passed uh, a very similar package of bills in the House of Representatives called now the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. But the Senate is a very different environment. And we're going to have to see if they can agree on anything. Uh, Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina, the Senate's lone black Republican member, has taken the lead for Republicans on this. Uh, Qualified immunity reform seems to be a sticking point. I wouldn't give it better than a 50-50 shot. Fortunately, most police reform must be done on the state and local level anyway. So failing at the federal level wouldn't be the end of the effort. I mean, it's not fortunate if it fails. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if it fails, we don't have to think of the whole effort as a failure because the state and local level is actually more directly impactful anyway. Next point. In some states, the demonstrations of last summer have led to laws or proposed laws that will actually interfere with or even criminalize the conduct of protesting. Now, I don't see how a lot of this stuff can stand up long term. I mean, the First Amendment to the United States does say that people have a right to petition their government. We know that the right to peaceably assemble is guaranteed there. Now, The conduct in any one demonstration might be criminal already. If you break windows, perhaps if you block highways, that stuff might already be criminal. But these states are taking it farther, and they're criminalizing the action of protesting in some ways that I think are very, very basically antithetical to the idea of free speech. They are also creating protections, get this, for people who drive their cars through roadways blocked by demonstrators. Right? They are creating protections. This is the equivalent to stand your ground laws with cars instead of guns. I mean, the analogy is far from perfect, but 
I just can't see where they think they're going with this other than to create danger for protesters because some of them will be hurt and killed if people think they can just drive through a demonstration and nothing will happen to them. And it will encourage people to disregard the right to protest and who knows what else. I think this is a very, very regrettable set of new laws. Next, sadly, I have to say, you just can't miss that the deaths have continued. Right? George Floyd died in May of 2020. And we have seen the same rate of shooting deaths caused by police over the succeeding 12 months as we saw over the last 12 months before that. It's about a 1,000 people a year, more or less. We have not seen a slowdown in these horrors. This remains a kind of problem at steady state. According to the Washington Post database on Americans killed by police shootings, which is an incomplete measure of the problem of police using violence against civilians um, because what about the shootings where they don't hit somebody or somebody is just injured uh, and not killed or they use something other than a firearm. Um, But it is a solid measure. Uh, We're still at that 1,000 more or less mark. In 2021, we're still on track for the same kind of yearly total. And among the most jarring of these uh, was that during Derek Chauvin's trial, Dante Wright, a young man uh, in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, just 10 miles from the courthouse where, where Derek Chauvin was being tried, he was killed by police in that suburban town after a traffic stop for an expired tag. And if you have watched the video of that, oh my God, I mean, to die over an expired tag. Tag. This was the killing in which police officers attempted to stop the young man from from getting back into his car and perhaps driving away. An officer says, taser, 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 but pulls a firearm and sh- shoots one time, uh, and Mr. Wright was killed. I mean, literally during Derek Chauvin's trial, right? Um, and then literally in the last few hours of the trial itself, while we're waiting for the verdict, we hear of another case, a 16-year-old female black American killed in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, She had called the police herself to her house when she was threatened by uh, a number of other people. Police arrived, saw her with a knife, and she's the one who died. I mean, picking those out, really just because of their proximity to Derek Chauvin's trial. But that's the thing. They're not special. This continues to happen. It's got to stop. It's just got to stop. And the law will help stop it. Um, Other things will help stop it. But there just has to be less violence and less deadly violence used in police encounters. It is too frequent. There are many ideas we can talk about, and we have talked about here on the podcast, but it's got to stop. Last thing I want to say, none of this is enough 
what's happened here. The list I've given you of things that have happened, changes that have been made, it's progress, but not nearly enough. As you can catch from that prior point, we need less violence and we need fewer people dying in police encounters, right? Um, We need to do more. More needs to happen, right? And we have to see real results. And that means the pressure has to remain on, right? Because not enough has changed in enough places. Even in Minneapolis, in Minnesota, sort of the epicenter where it all started after George Floyd was killed, the efforts that resulted in real legislative change were not what reformers or defunders certainly had hoped for. That police department is still very much in existence, though we are told now by actions of the legislative bodies out there uh, it will be different. Well, watch, wait, see. Don't accept the statement. See the actions. So more needs to happen. It must. That's... A little examination of the things that have happened and not happened in the years since the murder of George Floyd on May 25th of 2020. There's much more I could say. I know all of you might like to add a point. I invite you to send me your comments. Go to the website. That's criminalinjusticepodcast.com. You'll see a way there to just click and give comments. Tell me what I missed, what you think is important that I should have covered or that you think is important that I didn't talk about. Or call us. The number is 412-407-3389. Again, 412-407-3389. Tell us your first name, where you're calling from, and what you think about this year since George Floyd's death and what should happen going forward. And I hope we'll be able to use your comments on the podcast. Thanks for listening. This is David Harris, and I'll be back with you next time.